All right, all right. How are you doing, bud? It's great to have you back here once again. And it is officially a championship episode for two very good reasons. First off, Finland, world hockey champions. And second of all, yes, you guessed it. The jinxing word to a T from the get-go. My beloved Real Madrid, champions of Europe. How are ya? So as you see, it was a great week to say the least. Absolute domination on both fronts. Say what you want. And it's gotta be said that I really wasn't expecting Los Blancos to take home the trophy this year with their current squad. I ain't complaining though, since the trophy was away from home long enough, so it was great to see it back in the Spanish capital after a few long years. Summer is starting to creep towards us from around the corner, big UFC cards are just up ahead and the playoffs are heading towards its ending, so we gotta enjoy those games while they still last. This week's episode is going to be another a tad bit more personal episode where I will once again dwell a bit deeper into my own hockey diary, where I will share some of my thoughts and feelings regarding the NHL and introduce you to the teams that have grown on to me and which mean the most when it comes to being a fan of the sport. I feel like the first episode was only an introduction into this whole conversation and since the NHL finals are still some days away, this felt like a perfect opportunity to go even more below the surface when it comes down to NHL fandom. I will introduce you to my top 5 favorite teams plus few of their players from the past decade so that you get to see how much of a bandwagoner I really am. And of course, I will have some arguments for each preference just so that you get to question all of those picks in the process and point out to me why those teams suck ass in your point of view. As the jackpot, I will also tell you the franchises that I dislike the most so you have to stick till the end to find out if your team has found its way to my no-go zone. And of course, I won't leave you out hanging without any recent headlines cause we will start things off by looking at the ongoing playoff scene and review the quarterfinal matchups which ended just a week ago. So in short, a collection of sorts is going to be the title of today's episode but I feel like there's plenty more that I could share with you regarding my own personal bond with hockey and this episode is going to be continuation for the initial introduction. I'm also going to do a second part for the mental health aspect sometime in the future, so you can already get yourself ready for that topic as well. But this week I didn't want to force it in and much rather dedicate a whole episode for that topic on a later date, just so that I can get everything out that I want and don't have to worry too much about the episode length or anything even closely related to that, because I want it to be a totally separate thing from the usual stuff. That's hopefully coming in the near future, so already in advance, if you have anything in mind related to that topic or any other, do not hesitate to contact me since I would love to hear some of your thoughts and probably even consider them from my own personal perspective since these things are quite usual in all aspects of life, but if you've played competitive sports, you might easily relate to those feelings and find comfort in realizing that you are not alone with those thoughts and emotions. So I'm not going to pressure you, but if you have anything pressing you down or have some great pointers 
don't hesitate. I'm here to talk and there are no negative outcomes for being aware of situations. Does that sound like a plan to you? Well, obviously, it has to sit with you if you are going to stick with me and return once that episode arrives. But I hope that this episode will at least soothe you for the next 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how deep I'm going to go into this rabbit hole this week. So let's see how far we can actually go. Crank up your headphones, grab a nice cold beverage of your choice from the fridge, and take a nice deep breath so that you are all good for this week's nonsense. Here comes the music, and as always, without further ado, let's get going. You know, I will fit back streets back all right line in here at some point, but now just ain't the time. Just wanted to mention that so that you don't get surprised when the boys join us in the future. But anyway, as I mentioned, Leonat were crowned as the double champs after their victory over Canada in the World Hockey Championships last weekend. And for sure, some people are still on a championship bender and swimming in a fountain somewhere. I can guarantee you that. It's becoming almost a yearly tradition and it has to be said that since the tournament was hosted on our home soil, it felt way different and especially it was awesome to see such an event held in the brand spanking new Nokia Arena, where the atmosphere was top-notch in every game that the Finns played. The first big congratulations go to Niklas Freeman, who quietly took home his second gold medal of this year. And now it might end up being a tough challenge to try to drag this guy up for an interview after such a feat, but we'll see if we can work something out with my current connections. Bribing won't work, the guy has gold on both of his pockets, and maybe even in his teeth, and money is bursting out of his chest pocket, so I might have to find other ways to make that interview happen, but we'll see. And also, best of luck for the Swedish expedition as well. But probably the biggest achievement from the tournament though was Valtteri Filpula's incredible milestone as he became the first Finnish player to grab home three championships. One from the World Championships, one from the Olympics and one from the NHL. And just so you know, there are only 30 players that have achieved that milestone so it was quite remarkable to see him as the first Finn in that group of players. A true professional, great leader and a fantastic role model for young players deserves his spot in the elite company of Joe Sakic, Sidney Crosby, Peter Forsberg, Jaromir Jagr, Niklas Lidstrom, Chris Pronger, Jonathan Taves, Patrice Bergeron, Pavel Datchuk and Igor Larionov to name a few. So a big shout out to Valle as well for such an incredible achievement on a global level. Finland's goaltending and defense were top-notch throughout the tournament, as we've come accustomed to, and the big guns raced to the occasion when the game started to matter, so there pretty much was no doubt when it came to winning the entire tournament. Or at least, that's how I saw it. You could sense the boost that the home crowd gave for the team, and there was certain electricity in the air throughout the tournament. And honestly, as I said, once the elimination rounds begun, I was fully convinced that this team was going to take the cup to the market square once it was all said and done. Because of their past history, great lineup, strong results from the group stage, 
and probably most of all the huge support given by their home crowd. It was nice to see some NHL color in the tournament as well, since they weren't able to participate to the Olympic Games. And for example Miro Heiskanen, Mikael Granlund, Joel Armia and Esa Lindel carried heavy loads after their arrival to their home nation. And I gotta admit that I was pretty surprised by Armia's contribution since his season in Montreal was a pretty horrific one riddled with injuries. But now he was able to turn up the notch and was one of the key factors in the Finns offensive toolkit and scored a couple really important goals for the Finns. Mikko Lehtonen showcased his pedigree on the international ice once again and when it comes to other nations competing, the Americans at least showed their purpose for the participation from the get-go. And to put it into context, it was pretty much an European field trip for the young players and they really took their opportunity to spend some time with the boys on and off the ice after a rough NHL season. That showed in their performance and they most likely focus more on the hydration aspect more than anything. But that is at this point almost a yearly phenomenon, so it didn't come as a surprise at least to me. Simon Nemec, Juraj Slavkovsky, Adam Sikora, David Jiricek, Marko Kasper and few other top prospects of the upcoming entry draft had very good showings in the tournament. And once again, Slavkovsky raised some heads with his performance as he was crowned as the best player of their team after their elimination game against the Finns. He has become a real challenger for Shane Wright and at this point I wouldn't be surprised if he surpassed Wright in the draft order with his stellar performances across the competitions. But in conclusion, I gotta admit that even though I didn't have huge expectations for the tournament, I was pleasantly surprised how entertaining the tournament was as a whole and maybe the national atmosphere had something to do with that and made the tourney more interesting than I initially thought it would be. But nevertheless, congrats to the national team for another gold medal, and obviously the year 2022 couldn't have started any better than this when it comes to national pride. The boogeyman hit another one in. If you know, you know. On the NHL front, the conference finals started last weekend, and we got extremely juicy matchups in both conferences. In the West, the Central's bandwagon Colorado Avalanche faces up against the two-headed monster of Mac Rookie Mode and Leon Dreisaitl. While in the East, the two Russian brick walls Igor Shishcherkin and Andrei Vasilevsky go head-to-head in a seven-game series, so if you are not a fan of the sport, this is the time to dip your toes into playoff hockey, because it might not get any better than this. And by the way, I have no fucking clue how you would have ended up in here without any relation to the sport, but no matter how you ended up in here, the fact isn't going to change, and you might want to sacrifice some sleep for these games to be completely honest. But yeah, those are the matchups, and by the looks of it, even though there are great goaltenders present within the last four teams, I feel like the cup is going to go to a city which is able to outscore the opposition because at least so far in the West, defense hasn't won any series so I can only imagine that once the conferences collide in the finals, the better offensive team is going to take that crown, despite the goaltending and defensive aspects. Just when you look at the top guns of each team, McKinnon, Rantanen, Makar, McDavid, 
Drysaddle, Kucherov, Stamkis, Hedman, Vasilevsky, Shesterkin, Zibanejad, Fox, Kreider, and Panarin. There ain't too many defensive catalysts. You could maybe throw in likes of Taves, Nijuskin, Hyman, Girelli, Chernak, and Kopp. But the previously mentioned guys overthrow these defensively oriented guys 7 out of 6 times, so you get why I think that the defense is not going to win championship this year. Of course, the goaltending could be the biggest aspect at the end of the day and might even become the key factor when the cup is on the line. But the offense will decide this series, at least in my point of view, however you want to see it. The firepower is just on display on so many levels that it can't be ignored. And so far, the games have come down to each team's top lines going at it in a scoring race. So what's going to change once the last two teams have been decided? before the last stage of the playoffs. Then when it comes to quarterfinals, the Bolts were the first team through as they beat their division rival and President's Trophy winner Florida Panthers in just four games and stuffed their mouths full of baking flour as they walked right over them in flip-flops with a cold final goal difference of 13-3. The broadcast showed the explicit sign before every game and I hope that no one under the age of 18 saw what happened in Florida during the past week. Because the President's Trophy curse showed its face once again like Johnny in The Shining. And I couldn't have imagined any other ending for their playoff hopes than getting spanked in the second round by their daddy. As I mentioned in the previous episode, their first line completely evaporated once the series started. Their power play was far worse than many beer league teams. And the defense started to pack their swimming trunks after the first game. So there were very few bright spots present within those four games. Disgraceful performance to be honest. And I feel like this showing won't bring in many new fans when deciding between these two Florida-based teams. But oh well, there's always next year. And one thing that I have to point out and give some credit for is their effort that they put in this year as they finally really went for it on the roster front and put some cojones on the line to maximize their chance for a long playoff stay. And that is exactly what some teams just need before actually succeeding in the postseason. They added solid pieces to their lineup on the deadline and were packed for the playoffs, but unfortunately their core has still some room to grow contending-wise. And it has to be said that the consensus was that they were finally going to challenge the Bolts in the playoffs after last year's playoff series. But we saw what just happened and it's truly a disappointment to see that this was their actual level after such a dominant regular season. The intensity was lacking and I probably don't have to mention their top line stats anymore because those were pretty rough to look at. So you know, those two things alone can take you pretty far in the playoffs and the Bolts just have those aspects nailed down at this point. So there's not much to speculate about. The core will be intact for the next year but some rearrangements need to be done before the next season starts. And hopefully this team will take some big pointers from this series loss, look in the mirror and start to hone out those really rough edges for another push for the Lord Stanley Trophy next year. As I stated in the playoff preview, the playoff experience is a remarkable resource in the postseason. And that four game series proved that point to a T. 
And I think that the Panthers have now learned their lessons, at least hopefully. And they come back stronger than before and focus their momentum on the playoffs, rather than exhausting themselves in the regular season and just melting during the most important part of the NHL season. Hopefully that is the case and we get to see another Battle of Florida in the postseason with reframed Panthers squad. But until then, we have to settle for the Lightning and continue onwards to see how the other matchups eventually concluded. Next team on the train tracks was Calgary's own Flames, who got stuffed from behind by five players. Mac Hammer, Volkswagen salesman, relationship coach, Tarzan lookalike, and finally, a guy that is a literal terrier inside a human body. Yes, you can try to guess those names yourself. This was by far the most entertaining series of the second round, since both fan bases got to enjoy electric scoring battles in this series, and it most likely didn't leave no one cold with the way they were lighting up the lamp in those five games. Unfortunately though, Jacob Markstrom and the Flames defense showed why you don't play with pond hockey rules against Mac Jesus and the company, because you unfortunately don't have the firepower to match those guys in a duck hunting arcade game, or at least that's how it felt like when I watched that series. I mean, similar to Panthers, I was expecting them to make at least a dent to Oilers Stanley Cup train, but that was wrong assumption on my part and I take full responsibility for that. Meanwhile, the major disappointment can be found from their back end since both Calgary's defense and especially their goaltending were exposed in this series. Markstrom wasn't even saving imaginary pucks and their blue liners were total cones on the ice once the top guns jumped on the ice for the oils. The first line did what they could, but the depth options left lots to desire and the funny thing is that while Mike Smith was a total thumb in the crease who only stopped every third shot that came his way, Markstrom was even worse so how would you even describe his performance in that series? Another Calgary-esque year, similar to Minnesota where they falter in the playoffs. And I probably need to take my lesson from this experience and really consider my future picks when talking about this franchise in the postseason. We'll see what they come up with next, because currently the Oils have taken their place on top of the hill of the Alberta province. And Johnny Hockey is becoming an UFA this summer, plus Matthew Ketchuk, RFA, so... Another year of overthinking and underachievement is probably inbound once the next season rolls around. And the universal call sign for them from this point on is McDavid's lapdog. The third team that secured their spot in the conference finals was the Colorado Avalanche, who beat the St. Louis Blues in six games, and the margins in this matchup were much closer than what they were in the previous two. The expected suspects did their part in this series for the Avs and quite honestly, they just overpowered the blue squad and there's no shame in getting beat by this juggernaut who is bound for a Stanley Cup Finals appearance. Most games were very hard fought where the difference was only one goal and that difference was the fact that the Avs were able to suffocate Blue's offense. Binnington suffered an unfortunate injury in the third game which sidelined him from the playoffs and don't even start with the Kadri argument since Rosen clearly pushed him into the net while he was reaching for the puck, and Villahusa did a decent job when replacing him in their net, 
But it has to be said that Binnington was phenomenal before his injury and could have made a bigger impact on this series if he would have stayed healthy. But that's speculation at this point and we need to move past that point. Tory Crook's absence from their blue line was very noticeable and the secondary scoring overall left something to hope for. So even though I considered them being one of the stronger teams in this year's playoffs, few major injuries and tough matchups prevented them from moving on to the conference finals. And as I stated, they didn't lose to a bad team, but the Avs were able to exploit their weaknesses in these six games. Tough break for the Blues, but they are not looking to do drastic changes during the offseason and are pretty set for the next season, so expect to see them in the playoffs again next year. The last team that made their way to the conference finals was the New York Rangers, who went all the way to Game 7 against the Carolina Hurricanes. And the summary of this series was pretty much Igor Sischerkin versus the Canes. The home teams took the first games each time, but in the Game 7 the Rangers were able to scratch their way to a victory on an away ice and march on to face the Bolts in the conference finals and have already showed in that series that they are a tough team to beat in their home ice. The kid line of Lafreniere, Heedle and Gakko has come through for them and as I mentioned in the playoff preview, this needed to happen if they wanted to advance past the first round in the playoffs. Meanwhile, their top producers, Kreider, Zibanejad, Panarin and Fox have been lights out throughout the playoffs and it's been delightful to see Keandre Miller's great contribution for the team. And quite honestly, he has looked like a seasoned veteran during the last stretch of the NHL season. The kid line has brought an extra element to their game which has made them even bigger threat on a nightly basis 5-on-5. And Shesterkin's value can't be overestimated when talking about his impact for the team and where they would be with much inferior goaltending. Overall, the Canes were outscored by the Rangers' top lines, and especially Andrei Svechnikov's offensive numbers were nowhere near where they would have needed to be. While their secondary scoring was quite routed when compared to the Rangers' depth options. It's unfortunate to see the Canes throw away another great season since, at least in my point of view, they should have been one of the stronger teams in the playoffs because of the depth they possess. But like in previous years, they left us hoping for more and now they need to consider their future after another tough elimination before the conference finals. They can't blame their goaltending since Randa was tremendous in the absence of Andersen and carried the team at times so it could have been a lot worse for them if he wasn't able to stick in their crease and keep them afloat against the Rangers' highly dangerous offensive weapons. Overall, both Ranta and Andersen were great this season and the Jennings Trophy proves that, but as we all know, they need to stay healthy in order to maximize their potential. And since both guys once again suffered with injuries, there is a certain doubt attached to this equation again next year. If Pyotr Kachetkov isn't able to make his jump to the NHL crease already next season. So in conclusion, another disappointing year for the Canes when considering their expectations heading into this postseason. When it comes to ongoing conference finals, both series are currently 2-0 for the home teams. And seemingly, the Oilers are arriving to the last stop of their playoff story, where their lack of depth finally gets exposed, especially in the defensive side of the puck. 
The Avs have shown their fangs offensively and the Oilers offense was shut down pretty much for the first time in the playoffs in their second game. So we'll see if Connor and the rest can exploit Franzus in the remaining games who was deployed to their crease after Kemper's injury in the first game. The Avs look determined and have been fairly dominant throughout the playoffs so I can't see them losing to this Oilers squad in their current form without any major surprises or black magic because you need every part of your roster to excel in order to find success in the later stages of the playoffs. And unfortunately the Oils have been carried by their top guns and that can only take you so far. When facing tougher opponents with depth to share and players that can match your top producers so at least I'm expecting a short series between these two. The Oils could take one or two games but that's pretty much all I give for them against this powerhouse from the Rockies. The series between the Bolts and the Rangers is a different one where the Rangers have been able to shut down Bolts offensive cogs and so far Shesterkin has been the dominant goalie in this matchup. Vasilevsky hasn't been his dominant self who is able to stop every puck coming his way while Braden Point's absence can be seen from their lineup and overall the Bolts have just looked exhausted when compared to much younger Rangers team who has kept up the tempo throughout their first two games. The final notch just seems to be missing for the Bolts and the top guns have been outgunned by the Rangers top producers and they have to step up if they want to advance to the Stanley Cup finals third year in a row. The thing is that so far they relied upon their strong power play and the Rangers have been able to stay out of the penalty box and quite contrary the Bolts have spent majority of the time in the box and the Rangers have ruthlessly made them pay for that on the power play. So the 5 on 5 production hasn't been there for them thus far and that is exactly why they are currently facing an uphill battle to advance to the Stanley Cup finals. There's still time to correct that course and I fully believe that they will fight back and make this series interesting but it has to be said that my wildcard team Rangers currently look poised for a finals appearance and the duo Shesterkin Fox has been absolutely dominant in the playoffs and are the main reasons why they are leading the conference final battle to do nothing. Still lots of hockey to be played and the Bolts without questions will give them a run for their money but surely it's not going to be easy because as I said they currently look somewhat out of place and lack the same energy that they had during the two previous runs. Great game still up ahead and hopefully these series are far from over because we get to see some high-flying offense and elite level talent during the last stretch of the postseason. It'll be interesting to see if the Oils and the Bolts have still some gas left in their tanks to claw their way back from a 2-0 deficit. But that is pretty much the overview of the current playoff picture and as I said Nothing is sealed at this point, so the expectation isn't a sweep times two because we both know what the Oils and the Bolts are capable of and what kind of lineups they both possess, so things could turn on a heartbeat and I wouldn't be surprised by that one bit. The Oilers duo is on top of the scoring table still with over two points per game average, while rest of the top ten is sealed by Mika Zibanejad, Adam Fox as the top defenseman, Evander Kane, Kale Makar, Nathan McKinnon, Nikita Kucherov, Mikko Rantanen and the trio Landeskog, Kadri and Goudreau with 14 points in total. 
So no surprises on the scoring front either. And with that, we wrap up our playoff coverage for this week. Next though, we move to more personal stuff. So if you are here for the playoff update, I thank you for our visit. But if you end up staying, I appreciate the support. So let's get down to business and learn some more about my passion for the NHL. So I guess you are already aware that I'm a Habs fan, so that doesn't need any enforcing. But on that same breath, I need to address the fact that I'm not a typical Habs fan in a sense that I don't despite the Bruins or the Leafs. And that's probably because I don't have any roots to Montreal and haven't lived through the experience myself of living in that city and feeling the whole atmosphere surrounding those two rivalries. And quite contrary, I loved the rivalries in the early 2010s between the Habs and the Bruins and that even grew my fandom towards Montreal even more. As I've probably explained, my fandom started when I was a kid with huge Patrick Roy poster. But I would be lying to you if I said that our Finnish captain, Saku Koivu, also didn't have anything to do with it. Since he was one of my favorite Finns growing up and still is because of his leadership skills and overall heart for the game. I fondly look back at the days when our top guns were young P.K. Zuban, Max Pacioretty, Alex Galchenyuk, Prime Carey Price and Brendan Gallagher, while the supporting guest of Alexei Yemelin, Andrei Markov, Lars Eller, Tomas Plekanec, Michael Camilleri, Scott Gomez and such were backing up those guys and even though they didn't find any major success during those days, it was great to see those guys growing into their roles and becoming bona fide NHLers. Since then, the cast has changed quite tremendously and only few guys remain from those days, but we've received great young replacements for those guys and the reconstruction of our squad has already started, so we are probably going to see another similar process in Montreal just within the next few years. But back to the Bruins. So as I probably mentioned in the intro episode, I've also been a Bruins fan for many many years. Not to the same extent as a Habs fan, but as I said, the love for them pretty much grew hand in hand with their rivalries. And the biggest lures for me concerning the bees have been Milan Lucic, Geno Chara, Young Tyler Sagan, Joe Thornton, only OGs remember him from B-Town, and finally our Finnish rep Tuukka Rask. I absolutely loved Prime Lucic in Boston and I believe that the only player coming close to that guy has been Tom Wilson since then, so you can probably guess that I also have a soft spot for him for same exact reasons. Tough, hard-hitting and able to put up points despite the physical nature are the attributes that I fell in love with. And when it comes to Jara, I've always been keen on his journey from a lanky 2-meter giant to an elite NHL defenseman, which has been mesmerizing to say the least. Nowadays the main attractions for them are of course the top players Bergeron, Pasternak and especially the young defenseman Charlie McAvoy, who has become one of my absolute favorite blue liners in the NHL because of his bulldog-like mentality mixed with great skill and skating ability. And you probably at this point start to point out that there probably is one more player missing from that bunch and you are exactly right because I intentionally left out Brad Marchand from that group because I want to devote a separate section for his big personality. So you might be asking the question, well, what are your thoughts concerning the rat? And my answer is the same that I've heard numerous times before 
from many other of my fellow hockey fans. I like the player and would love him as a teammate, but I do not like his history concerning disrespectful behavior. Because for me, he's still hands down one of the top players of this league and I love his skill set and playstyle, but the antics surrounding it have driven me away from supporting him at times and you probably understand exactly why. Hopefully he's done with this brainlessness, since at least this year was quite a soft one for him on that front and I hope that it continues that way again next year. But yeah, the Habs are my absolute favorite, no one is coming close to that. But if I had to say my number two team, it would be the Bruins because of the factors mentioned here before. I know some of you question this fact, but I made my case and you can take it as you wish. I have my roots down with the Habitants and you can question it as much as you like, but it won't change from that. That is a promise. After those two, the decision becomes a bit harder, but on the third spot we find ourselves the Colorado Avalanche. And you know that I've been high on them for the past two years, but now trust me, the bandwagon hasn't appeared out of nowhere. Because just like the Habs, I became their fan a long time ago and the root of it has probably grown from the Patrick Roy fandom and his eventual trade from Montreal to Colorado. But that is not the only reason for supporting that team, even in the historical perspective. You see, they've always been one of my favorites because I still remember their glory days back in the early 2000s. When likes of Peter Forsberg, Rob Blake, Joe Sakic, Teemu Selanne, Paul Correa, Milan Heyduk, Alex Tangier, Ray Borg, Chris Drury, Adam Foote, Adam Deadmarsh, and of course our own Ville Nieminen were dishing the puck in the Mile High City. Those teams are one of the most stacked rosters in the NHL that I've ever seen, besides maybe the Detroit teams from that same era and seeing those guys rock the retro avalanche jersey just brings up so huge respect for the entire franchise and now just recently they've rise to the top of the league again with their new modern superstars so you can call me a bandwagoner or a glory hunter how much you like but this team really has been close to my heart since those days and it just has grown into me again after they drafted nathan mckinnon as their new leader there are certainly some similarities between these two eras and I start seeing Joe Sakic's handprint which brings up the fact that this guy has seen what it's like and has assembled a team that should remind those teams that wreck havoc in the NHL at the start of the modern era. Nowadays the obvious names that turn heads are McKinnon, McCarr and Rantanen but I also have huge appreciation for Landeskog, Taves, Gerard, Nijuskin Kadri and JT Comfer. Meanwhile, the next big stars, Bowen Byram and Alex Newhook, are grooming towards the top duties inside their organization. So the Avs round out the top three of my favorite teams to watch and follow. Then, just outside of the top three, we have the Washington Capitals for two main reasons. One, Alex Ovechkin, the greatest goal scorer ever in the NHL, and his previous guest for the Stanley Cup. And number two, my best friend, who has been their fan as long as I can recall. Of course, they've had great players in the roster since the rebuild. Kuznetsov, Oshie, Carlson, Vrana, Beckstrom, Niskanen, Holtby, and previously mentioned Wilson, etc. And since they've been this underdog team as long as I can remember, 
Their rivalries against the Penguins especially have stuck with me all the way from their championship days and grew my interest while the Penguins got to hoist multiple cups after beating the Caps in the first or the second round. They've always been an entertaining team to watch and most of it comes down to Alex Ovechkin's presence as I said. While they possess similar characteristics to the Bees where they've always had this physical presence in their game which has drawn extra attention on their way. I'm not as invested in them as I am for the previous three but they have a soft place in my heart and I enjoy watching them every once in a while when they appear on the primetime broadcasts. It was also exciting to see them finally grabbing the cup in 2018 and the celebrations were just as we could expect. Long and moist and I'm pretty sure that Ovi is still celebrating that victory with TJ Oshie somewhere in the back country. But yeah, underdogs are usually my thing and I feel like they were that for many many years living under the shadow of the Pittsburgh Penguins but once they achieved the greatest milestone in the NHL that they've been after for years that spotlight shifted and they become staples on my favorite team list. And please, don't tell this to my friend. He's going to label me as a closet Cavs fan. And the last team on my top 5 is going to be another historical team, but this time not for that reason. Even though I appreciate their legends and what they were able to accomplish during their heydays. But more so, I'm extremely intrigued about their future and that team is the Detroit Red Wings, who will without a doubt rise in the rankings fairly soon once the modern era superstars start to blossom on the next level. They are not going to pass the Habs but might be close to overshadowing the Bees in the second spot at some point. But to my point, if you haven't noticed, I love Steve Iserman. That's that. And since I know what he was able to do in Tampa Bay, I became interested straight away when he announced his new role on his new team. He was an outstanding player and those attributes have passed on to his new job and I just love the way he operates and I idolize that guy on the business side of things. Like I've said in the past, I'm more of a players fan than a teams fan but even though I'm listing teams here today, most of my picks stem from fandom of a certain player or players and in this case the fandom directs to their GM and his skills rather than just a couple of their former or current players. There's certainly that aspect in play as well and I can fully admit that straight from the get-go I fell in love with Moritz Sider and what he brings to their lineup and thus he has become one of my favorite players in the current day NHL. But the point is that even though the franchise has a colorful history and lots of Stanley Cup banners in the rafters, I'm more looking forward to their future dynasty since I got to see some of their players that played during their prime and kind of got bored of it since every year after their Stanley Cups, they were in the playoffs with similar roster without any major changes. Just seeing the likes of Thomas Holmström, Henrik Sederberg, Chris Draper, Daniel Cleary, Johan Franzen, Mikael Samuelsson and the bunch just started to annoy me to some extent and I learned to dislike their team because of that fact. Of course you can't hate the magic man Pavel Datsuk, but other than that, does that lineup sound a bit boring to you? Because it does at least for me. 
Now though, they have new face behind their office desk and he's starting to build his own dynasty. And I'm more than excited for this team's future because players such as Sider, Kosa, Raymond, Berggren, Edvinson, Johansson, Viro, Master Simone, Niederbach, Hannes, Söderblom, Lindström, Wallinder, Bednar and a couple of others are starting to fill in the gaps for the future. And once again this year, they have fairly high draft pick and I wouldn't be surprised if Steve Y made few moves to improve that spot even more. So there's going to be another gem for their future roster once they get to the stage on the draft day. I want to see this team becoming a powerhouse of the East and one thing that is different to the earlier days is the fact that I get to see the whole process from the start unlike the previous dynasties where the players were already there once I saw them hoist the cups for Detroit. They have already strong pieces for the future in their NHL lineup and the pipeline is filled with promising prospects. So just like the other great pipelines such as Anaheim, Los Angeles, New Jersey, Montreal, Buffalo and the Rangers, they are bound for a bright future and that's what I'm looking forward to the most. Honorable mentions go to St. Louis and Florida because of a certain connections, but those are pretty much my favorites when it comes to NHL franchises and they've been there for many many years now. And the only exception to that rule is the Detroit squad who has just emerged in the top five and could be headed towards the top of the totem pole in a very short time. The only team that has fallen out of the top five is the Philadelphia Flyers who used to be in the top three during the early days of my NHL experience mostly because of Sami Kapanen, Anki Motimonen plus Ville Leino of course but since those guys have gone from that franchise and the team has claimed somewhat questionable reputation in the NHL they have fallen towards the end of my likability scale. And as I've said in the past I don't despise any franchise in the NHL but the teams that I least enjoy to watch are the Arizona Coyotes for obvious reasons, Philadelphia Flyers and the New York Islanders alongside the Ottawa Senators. And just so that you know I like the Islanders team when it comes to their players and I hope success for the franchise but since they've adapted this boring playstyle I just can't sit down and watch their game since it's so defense heavy and they rely on counter attacks that I don't have the patience to just sit down and watch them defend their own net for 60 minutes and score one goal in each period. I hope that their next head coach will finally unleash their offense since certainly they have the defensemen who can stand on their own feet and centers that are responsible on both ends of the ISO. I pray to God that they fix that part in their game and become more enjoyable to watch since I'm a big fan of the deep partnership Pelek and Pulak as well as Noah Dobson, Matthew Barzal, Anthony Beauvillier, Anders Lee and the rugged fourth liners Matt Martin and especially Kyle Clutterbuck plus their netminder Ilya Sorokin. So that's pretty much all I'm asking and if that does happen they will launch towards the top end of my tier list with quick fashion. And the same thing goes with Ottawa where they've been one of the worst teams in the league for a couple of seasons now. So they haven't raised any major emotions by their performances. If their young guns are able to break through and finally make them competitive again under their new ownership then I might reconsider their place at the bottom of my list but... For now, 
they will remain there until something drastic happens. But that pretty much wraps up this week's episode. Hope you enjoyed another more personal episode where you get some inside information into my hockey diary alongside the current playoff picture. Next week is still in the air since I'm going to be out of town during the weekend and it's most likely going to be a challenge to upload the next episode within the set time frame. But I'll do my best and try to get the next episode out on Sunday at the latest, but no promises, unfortunately, at this point. Remember to follow the podcast, go drop your thoughts on my social media, and while you're there, go hit the follow button on the IG as well, because we are trying to grow our presence there as well. Like I said, I really do hope that you enjoyed the episode. That's all I'm striving for, and next time you are going to hear from me. The topic will surround the NHL finals, so just be prepared for that episode next time. Thank you so much for listening. I can't stress enough the fact how grateful I am for your continuous support. And I hope that I bring you something each week, whether it is just some background noise while you cook. That's all fine by me. I appreciate you. But that's all for this week. I wish you a very pleasant week and wish to see you again next time. So stay tuned, stay safe. Until next time. All right.